you have to be able to write period, because if you hire that super analytical person first and they're not a good writer, it's great. But who's going to send out the email to promote that campaign? Who's going to write the copy for the ad? Number one skill for me is the ability to be able to write. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Speaker Series Rewind. My name is Catherine Martin, and I'm on the marketing team here at High Alpha, and we've got an awesome episode for you today. We're headed all the way back to April of 2020 for our Speaker Series with one of my all-time favorite marketers to follow, Dave Gerhardt. And at the time of this recording, Dave was the CMO of Privy. Privy has since been acquired by Attentive, which happened back in June of 2021. So now the former marketing executive who's also worked at both Drift and HubSpot is living in Vermont and building his own business called DGMG. And DGMG provides marketing education and consulting for high growth B2B startups. There's also a 4,500 plus member community and they have everything from emails, podcasts, courses, job boards, and more. And you can find it all at davegerhard.com. And in this episode, we're covering a lot of the resources that you might find on DGMG. Dave talks about a good makeup for a marketing team at a startup, the power of brand, and the importance of being a good writer, no matter what your role. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. I'll get us started here. My name is Christian Anderson. I'm a partner at High Alpha. As many of you know, we are a venture studio that conceives, launches, and scales Enterprise cloud companies based in Indianapolis, Indiana. And today is our 45th speaker series event and our first that we've run entirely in a remote fashion. So what's cool is that our event space kind of caps out at 80 people. So we're actually allowed to cast a slightly wider net for these virtual events and have more folks join. And so glad you all elected to do so. Today, we've got a special treat. You know, normally in these speaker series events, The first special treat are the breakfast burritos. Unfortunately, we were not able to deliver those to all 124 of you, but I think our guests will more than make up for the lack of Mexican breakfast food. We're joined by David Gerhardt, and if you'll indulge me, I'd like to give a brief bio, and then we're going to have Dave talk a little bit more about his background, so hopefully he'll be able to touch on things that I've skimmed over, but Dave is an extraordinary marketer. He's built his career working for, you know, literally some of the most successful technology and software companies in the world, including a few that you've probably heard of, like Constant Contact and HubSpot and Drift, and more, most recently, Privy, where he leads marketing and is the host of the e-commerce marketing show, and which is exciting because we at High Alpha, we're big, big believers in leveraging podcasts for B2B marketing. So hopefully we can get into that a little bit as well. Privy provides tools and support to small e-commerce brands and helps them build uh, thriving, durable, big, important businesses. And we're going to have Dave expand a little bit more on what Privy does, but so relevant to so many of our portfolio companies on the studio side, the capital side, and, and many of our friends who lead the marketing function at e-commerce retailers who are joining us today. So maybe to kick us off, Dave, it'd be awesome if you would, if you would like start from the beginning. Tell us, tell us about yourself, like literally where you were born and walk us through maybe, maybe we can stop at the beginning of your professional career and then I'll, and then I'll ask some more, some more targeted questions. 
Sure. First of all, thank, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of w what you all do. And, and we, we made it out to Indianapolis maybe a year and a half ago for some drift stuff and just was blown away by the community there. And so, you know, any, any chance to reconnect with, with you guys is a great one. Uh, so back, background on me, I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, if you've ever heard of it. My birthday is in, in June. So I will be, how old am I going to be? I'm going to be 33 in June and basically um, spent my whole life there. I went to college in, in Staten Island, New York, a small uh, school called Wagner College. And I really went there because I, I, it was a, one of two schools that accepted me and they, I got to play baseball there for, for, for three years. I wasn't very good. It's a small D1 school. I should have just gone to a small D3 school and played more, which would have been a lot more fun. But honestly, I, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do after school. I was always kind of like a good writer. And so I, I majored in uh, marketing and I had a minor in journalism and, and I really was going to try to go do like sports journalism somewhere. But that whole industry crashed and, and I graduated in 2009, which was after the 2008 recession. So it was really a terrible, a terrible time to try to find a job. And I, I applied to every business in, in, in the Boston area because I needed to live at my parents' house because I didn't really have any money to go out on my own. So I lived at my parents' house and I was just trying to find any place to work. The, the one place that took me was a, a PR company called Lois Paul and Partners. And I took that job because they were the only ones that, and this was when everybody was doing, oh, oh you can do, uh, start as an unpaid intern. But they were the only people that would actually pay me as an intern, and they paid me ten dollars, ten dollars an hour, mm -hmm. and that covered my gas from Worcester to Boston, where where I basically would be working every day. And so, it was there that I actually learned that I like business and I like marketing because I had no interest in PR. I just you know convinced myself that I hey, it's a job in a business, cool, let's figure it out. It doesn't require math or spreadsheets, so I, I might have a chance at being successful. And and it was through like what I learned was that my communication skills were actually a skill that could be used in business because I could, you know, pitch reporters on stories and actually get them on the phone or get them to write back to me and come up with hooks and angles and topics. And I was able to be pretty successful for a young PR intern getting coverage for my clients. And so I started to kind of get addicted to that feedback loop of reach out, get something back. And so I, I ultimately wanted to go to a different company. So that's, that's when I found that Constant Contact was hiring uh, a PR person on, on their team. They had a four or five person PR team. And so I went there, I went in-house and I did that job for a year. And then I used that job to basically go from PR to product marketing at Constant Contact. And that's really when I got into marketing. And it was there that I got really into my job as a PR person. I was working on one of our, um, working on promoting one of our, our social media products. This was in 2011 when Facebook was blowing up. You know, remember the days of like the, 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 the like gating on Facebook where you can have some, you know, someone have to like your page and then opt in. And so I, I got really interested in like every day reading TechCrunch about all these companies that were in the space. And that's what got me interested in startups and, and SaaS. I left Constant Contact because I wanted to go do the startup thing. And I went to Privy for the first time. There was 10 people. This was 2013. And the company ended up running out of money a year after I got there. I wasn't even doing marketing for them. I was just doing account management, managing the customers. Company ran out of money. I went to HubSpot to work with Mike Volpe, who's a CMO over there. He ended up leaving HubSpot. That's when I, I, I made the leap to, to go join Drift. At Drift, I was the first full-time marketing person. There was about 10 people at the company when I joined. And when I left, there was 30 people on the marketing team and 300 people in the company. And during the time that I was there, which is a little over four years, 
we really became the, the, the fastest growing B2B SaaS company ever. If you compare us to the early days of, of, of Salesforce or, or HubSpot or Zendesk, Drift was faster than all of them. And um, I guess I've just continued to marketing. I realized that through that journey, marketing is the thing that I love doing. And so I have a private group where I talk about marketing. I just talk about marketing all the time. And I've learned that that's kind of my calling and, and my career. And so now I'm just trying to build a career around marketing. And, and I rejoined Privy in December as CM. I've stayed in touch with Ben, the founder, for, for the last five, six years. And, and we've always talked about getting an opportunity to work together. And what he's done is he basically rode the wave of, they pivoted the whole business after running out of money. He went all in on, they were originally selling to brick and mortar businesses. He went all in, uh, in in 2015 on Shopify and said, "You know what? This is not this is not working. Let's. I but this product actually works really well for e-commerce." So they went all in on Shopify, built an amazing freemium product, and, and really grew from having no money in the bank to to eight eight million ARR in in about two years later. And so it's been an incredible journey. And I took the CMO job there because I wanted to work with Ben again, but also. You know, I really wanted to get into e-commerce. I think it's a super exciting space. And I think Privy has a unique position where what we do is you use Privy to sell more stuff online. So if you're an e-commerce retailer and you have a Shopify store, you would use Privy to send emails to your customers, send text messages to your customers and convert more people on your website. And so it's a perfect fit for me because I love marketing and I can now go and educate a whole new segment of the market about marketing. But at the same time, I get to like, learn about e-commerce and I'm learning a new industry at the same time. So if you wanted five, 10 minutes on my background, you just got it. That was, so. that was awesome. Thank you, Dave. You know, m- maybe as a transition, I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of where you slot from expertise and passion perspective into the marketing spectrum. I mean, marketing is one of these really expansive phrases that scoops up everything from, you know, how you started your career PR to growth and demand gen and SEO and events and brand and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd love to hear like, where, where's your passion? Like where do you center in that landscape and how is that reflected at Privy? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because I think the, the answer that I would normally give, and I'm, I'm rethinking how I should give this answer, but like the answer that I normally give here is I love the brand side of things. I love content, creative, you know, the, the brand promise, the like the building an audience. And so, but, but I've realized that like, I, I also love the, the, the revenue side of it also, because ultimately if it, you know, if you're not making money from this or generating leads or meetings or pipeline or revenue or whatever your metric is for the sales team, it doesn't matter. But I, but I think it's probably somewhere like the thing that I love is building an audience. And so, you know, you said, I love the idea. Like I love that. I love the fact that nobody knew about drift before like I started and, and we built, you know, we got to build that, that together. I love the fact that like privy, you know, already had amazing awareness inside of the Shopify ecosystem with 400,000 people. But I I love that we can now go try to put this brand on the map and have more people know about us. And so that's the thing that that I love doing. But I would say what I'm not is I am not the I'm not the the marketing leader who is uh, in Salesforce every minute of every day slicing, you know, exporting stuff, slicing and dicing it in, in, in Excel. That's not who I am. I'm the guy who's like, 
calling you on the ride home from this because I just thought of this killer hook that we should use for, for this new video that we're going to record next week. Like that's where I'm going to pick up the bat phone and call. And so, you know, I, I've tried to really with this job, hire a team that's complementary to that. Cause I, I want to spend most of my time being able to, to get involved on the creative and overall marketing strategy side and, and, and feel really good about having a strong, you know, leader who can run the day to day in and out. Like, all right, we got to move, we got to change this on Facebook up oh, this conversion rate, you know, mm-hmm on the homepage dropped by half a percent. Does that matter? Should we watch it? What's, you know, and so I, I've been really um, lucky to be able to do that. And it's made this job so much more fun because we, you know, to, to, to be able to, to hire around your, your, to, to, to be in a place where now I know my weaknesses and to be able to, to have, um, you know, enough ego to say, I think I'm good in these. So let's go hire, let, let's go build out this and, and, and getting better at delegating. And I think my biggest weakness has been, I love marketing. And so I want to touch it all. I want to do it all. I want to know how everything works, but I've really tried to do with this job, really step back and say, you know what, I'm going to try to like run, run the marketing strategy and creative pieces of it. Other than that, I'm, we're going to try to like, I'm going to actually let people run and do their jobs. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that that's good. You know, a lot of the people that are joining us today, I, I kind of ran through the list, at least the most recent version of it last night. And a lot of startup, early stage startup executives, CEOs in particular, advice to a very early stage CEO that's considering hiring their first marketing leader into the business. You feel comfortable pushing them toward hiring, you know, if you think about that continuum, the creative marketer and the analytical marketer, who should the first marketing leadership hire be? Where should they skew on that spectrum? I think it's actually got to be whatever the hybrid of that. It's got to be the Venn diagram of those two things. Cause I think it, a lot of startups make this mistake. Like they, you go and hire the brand person first and you're just going to get a lot of ideas and mood boards and, and project <laughs> plans. And I love all that stuff, but that's not how you're going to get something off the ground. On the other side of things, if you if you hire somebody whose sole focus is the is the analytics, that what what you're going to have is you're going to have a great looking paid funnel. You'll probably be tight with SEO, and you'll probably be really you'll probably be really really good on a spreadsheet. But you're going to be too focused on the little optimizations that like you don't have somebody that's really thinking big enough to pull the whole thing forward and thinking about mm. how the brand fits in there. Mm. And so I think like my ideal hire, you know, if, if I was a CEO, I would be trying to find somebody who can, who can honestly do a little bit of everything where, where writing is a strong, you know, you have to be able to write period, because if you don't hire, let me use another example. If you hired that super analytical person first and they don't like, they're not a good writer, it's great, but who's going to send out the email to promote that campaign? Who's going to write the copy for the ads? And so like number one skill for me is the, the, the ability to be able to write, right? And, and it sounds so dumb to be like giving that as advice, but it's ridiculous how many people actually can't do that. And yet the narrative is like, marketers should really become technologists. Marketers, go learn to code. Hey, marketers, forget, put the, the JavaScript, like how about before we move on to the JavaScript, let's get great at writing copy and let's start there. So I love that. I love that. First, first to me would be like somebody who can write because you can teach that for me, like at Drift, right? I had never run a funnel before, but I could write. And so I got to be the first person to like, oh, shoot, you know what? We're going to have to grow next month. So I'm going to spin up Facebook ad creative myself and I'm going to run the blog myself and I'm going to set up nurture emails myself and I'm going to do our first event myself. And so I'm not saying that's the perfect fit, 
But I, I've seen it work a bunch of times with that early, scrappy, hungry person who can do a bunch of jobs and then grow with the company. And so what happened to me was I did every job for the first nine months or so at, at, at Drift. And then I went and I got to hire, okay, like we got this content thing figured out. I should probably hire a writer and I got the blessing to go hire a writer. Oh, now I've proved out that I can hire a writer and manage that person. What do we need next? Like before hiring an events person at our company, I did the first five events myself. Yeah. And that, that set us up for success because it made me a better hiring manager because I knew what we needed to look. I would know what we need to look for versus a year before that. I could have told you, yeah, sure. I, I, I've read some books. I've read the Salesforce book. You know, I, I, I think I know what it would take to run an event. I'll go hire that person. But it's way different when you or somebody else on the team have done it. And so I think you've got to hire that person who can come in, touch a bunch of different things, um, and then learn and, and, and grow with you. And by the way, even if you then end up hiring over them and bringing in a more seasoned VP of marketing or CMO, whoever, that person, maybe then you can go bring the brand CMO on because you have someone who's already kind of like gotten that zero to one stuff going. That's good. I mean, I like, I, you know, particular or practical advice is what this crowd is really hungry for. And, and just to reflect back what you shared, if you it, it first kind of marketing leadership hire, if you go kind of hardcore classic brand marketer or hardcore like quantifiably driven demand gen person, you're necessarily going to leave too much on the table in, in, in the kind of counter disciplines. And the idea that that first hire, whether it be the middle level or the most senior level, needs to be an athlete, probably not a 10 at either one of those things, but conversant in, comfortable and athletic along that whole spectrum is critical. The other thing I wanted to, I'd love to camp out on for a second is your comments about writing and this as well. You know, we were on a pre-call with Drew and Drew will tell you, you know, when we've hired marketing people in this organization, the first question I ask is, can they write? And, and it's not just, can they write compelling, you know, marketing speak, but can they write? Can they clearly communicate and articulate their thoughts using the written word? And, you know, I, I, I don't know who said this. It wasn't me. I just quote it. But writing is thinking. And the act of writing is clarifying our thoughts, but actually forming them and, and developing conviction around them. And it transcends marketing. You know, if you're a finance leader, you should be able to write. If you're in sales, you should be able to write because writing translates into how you even into the into the verbal realm. And in any leadership role in any organization, one of the things you're going to be called upon to do is advance your own ideas. And if you cannot effectively communicate them to the other people around the table, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. If you can't express that in a way that people understand, it's all for naught. And I and I think that when people hear you say that, they probably are thinking a bit more about, okay, that's brand marketing, that's content, that's copywriter and the ad agency sense. But I think what you're getting at is something maybe even one level of, of abstraction greater than that, which is the ability to think and communicate. Am I putting more? Yeah, because like. No, you have, you have, it's actually not because I, I, I've also seen the mistake of if you hire that, if you hire that writer and it's, and it's someone who's, who's a great content marketer and, and who, blog, who writes five blog posts a week, you're not going to be successful with that person either, either because all they're going to want to do is, is write. That person's the, the English major who loves writing and that, that, that's not going to work either. You need to find the, the marketer who can write. Like it, it's the marketer who can write. 
You know, and, and there's a difference there, which is I can write, but I really want to go build something and grow something and make something happen. And so I'm, I'm going to use writing as a, me- a means to that end versus just, I love the craft of writing. And, and that's great. You you need those people after you, you like have some type of foundation there. The other thing that's a, that, that I think is important that, that I meant to hop in and, and say earlier is it also depends on the familiar. So, so if this is an early stage company, it also depends on what is the CEO, like, what's the background of the CEO and what's the appetite, you know, is, is that a, is it a technical CEO? You know, is it a, is it a type of CEO? Is it a CEO from sales background? Is it a CEO from marketing background? Does the CEO have an appetite for marketing? How involved are they going to be? Because ultimately in the absence of a senior marketing leader, if you're going to hire that, that person, that type of person first, who are they going to report to? They're going to report to the CEO, Right. That, but that person is going to drown if the CEO doesn't care about marketing or can't provide some guidance. And so I think, you know, founders love to spend a lot of time asking about what does the ideal marketing hire look like? But I think it's also important from a founder perspective to think about, well, what are you willing to bring to the table, right? It's just like, just like sales. If you have a CEO and a, C, and, a, and a CTO who want to get involved with sales, your company is going to be more successful, right? You're, you, as a CEO, you would never say, ah, I don't really know sales that well, so I'm not going to get involved. You'd be like, no, it's sales. Of course I'm getting involved. What else matters at the end of the day? And I think you have to think of marketing on that, on that level also, um, you know, from, from a, like how, how important is this to us? How, how involved am I going to be if we're going to make, if I'm the CEO and we're making a marketing hire, you know, how are we going to measure the success of, of that? And, and how am I going to be involved? Cause I think too many times, even if you have that dream marketing hire, they're going to fail if you're not involved at the right level. Mm, I love that. How, how does how you measure the success or efficacy of marketing change from, say, formation to the first six months to year two and so on? I, I, there's a lot, I get also a lot of questions about well, how do we know if it's working? How do we measure it? How do, how do I hold mm-hmm. leadership accountable? How do you, how do you think about that? Well, I think, I think ultimately, you know, the first, the first question that I would ask you is, you know, if, if I'm working with you, right, you hire me as your CMO, the first thing I would say, okay, well, how much runway do we have, right? Because depending on, on how much money you have in the bank is also going to dictate a different marketing mm-hmm. strategy. For example, when I joined Drift, they had raised a 15, they were two well-known founders in the area. And so they had raised 15, a $15 million, basically seed round <laughs> and, and that was super rare. And so, so because of that, they didn't have to, we weren't under pressure. Like the goal was, Hey, go build a billion dollar company. And so because of that, the goal was not like in month one, we need to generate X number of leads that need to turn into Y number of meetings so we can close Z number of deals. And so, so the focus for us in the first really year was like building an audience, building up, like testing out the free freemium motion. Can we get people to sign up from the website? So I think like the, the stage of the, the, the funding and, 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 you know, runway of the company matters a lot, right? Where if like you and I right now went to go start an e-commerce business and we're self-funding that, like, shoot, the, the same month that we ship that first product, we better start making money from it. And so like, I think first is match is you have to match the, the, the stage and the runway to, to the marketing playbook that you want to go run. But I think it's helpful to also like, you're not going to be able to, I think too many teams become obsessed with goals. And one great lesson that I learned from, from David, who's a CEO at Drift was like, they broke, like he broke our goals down into really simple goals quarterly. And so, you know, after we had, once we had our product and we were ready to go to market, we said, Hey, 
for the first quarter, all we're going to focus on is new trials. Can we prove that the way that we message this product and, and the website are good enough to get people to start signing up for this? Yeah. Because too many, because like he, he knew that we wouldn't be able to juggle all, we're a new company, a new marketing team, new people. We're not going to be able to like try to generate trials for the first time, try to do, try to do activation for the first time, make sure they actually do something, try to pass off leads to the sales team for the first time, try to book meetings. Like there's too many variables there. And so it was like first quarter was focusing on, can we get people to sign up? And we set a goal of a couple thousand signups. After we blew that goal out of the water, then guess what? Next quarter, we're going to add activation. And so now we're juggling two balls. We've proved we can do trial generation. Now can we get, now can we prove that these people are actually going to get sticky and actually use the product? The quarter after that was when we actually focused on, on revenue. So even if you don't have that much of a, mm. that long of time, you could shrink that down and say, Hey, for the first two weeks, we're going to focus on, can we get people to sign up the next two weeks after that, it's going to be sign up and activation. The, the four weeks after that, it's going to be the whole funnel. And then, you know, within a month and a half, we're going to see if we can start, start getting revenue. That is so, it is so smart because I can tell you from personal experience that regardless of the kind of vintage of the company and maybe even especially with the really young ones, they're looking at that whole funnel and they understand that 100 goes to 20 and 20 goes to five and five goes to one, but they want that all to happen at one, like in that month, right? Yeah, we want to get a thousand free trials and we want, 28 of them to convert and to close new one business. And that, and it is, I think you're right, because literally there's a linear time bound progression to that in real life. So why wouldn't you break down your goals to look that way as well? And it allows you to be probably a little more iterative in between yeah. the stages of the funnel as well. You also just, there's too many, there's too many variables, right? Like for an early stage company, there's so many things that can, that can be right or wrong. And so it's, you could be, you could have the right messaging on the website and you could have the right, you know, product work done in your trial funnel. But what if the sales reps aren't trained right? And they, you don't, you don't have the pitch down yet. You're still learning the pitch. And so we, we very intentionally early on, we had zero lead scoring and we said, Hey, guess what? We have three sales reps they knew this coming in. They got hired there because there, there was no lead scoring. It's like, it's going to be the wild west. You need to help us figure out what our, what our pitch is. So all I want you to do is literally log into HubSpot and you're just going to go call every single person that, that becomes a lead and we're going to learn. And, you know, typically what happens is like everybody wants to lay down the perfect funnel. Then you start feeding something into it where we said, Hey, let, let's see what happens. Let, let's have as many conversations. And like really quickly, I'm sitting next to the sales rep who's calling those people and they're not getting any connects. And so then I start to sweat. I'm like, I've been over here for three weeks talking about how good we are at, at lead gen. And now you can't even actually get anybody on the phone. So I think you, you have to be able to, to break it down into what you can actually measure and what's going to be realistic. That's great. That's great. I, I don't know if you could, I guess you could apply this next question to either your time, you know, at Drift or Privy, but I'm curious, your personal style in how you work with sales leadership in the businesses where you're running marketing. What, what does that look like? Any kind of lessons learned or suggestions or best practices on how to synchronize marketing with the sales function? Yeah. So I think you can, you can set up all the meetings that you want. You can go to lunch and dinner and coffee and know what, know about each other's kids and Ultimately, though, the, the, the one thing that's going to get sales and marketing aligned is a, a scorecard and an SLA that has some shared set of like 
we're going to give you these three things and you're going to give us these three things. Cause that, that's the only thing that I found to be the real thing of truth, because otherwise you're just going to go back and forth. You, you go back and forth on your own metrics forever. And so I'm all in on the relation, the power of the relationship between execs and whoever runs sales and whoever runs marketing. But to me, the lesson that I've learned now is what are we agreeing to? What, what is the contract first? Because if you don't have that framework to work within, you're always going to be arguing or, or, you know, there's too many leads. There's not enough leads. They're not converting. They're not the right quality. They're not, you need to spell that all out. And so, and so, so, so then you can have your weekly meeting and say, as a reminder, these are the four criteria that we measure the effectiveness of sales and marketing by trials, conversion rate, ASP, whatever. Good. Can we all agree with that? Yep. Okay, cool. If we can fill this bucket and, and we're green on this metric, then like, you can provide feedback on what's right or wrong, but we're going to let the, the data be the guiding factor here. And so I think to me, that's number one is the scorecard. And then number two is to, to actually be willing to like roll up your sleeves and, and, and get on and get on calls or, or listen to calls or, you know, spend, do a daily stand up. early days of drift. I, I sat at the, you know, at the daily sales stand sales stand up every day at five o'clock for, for two years where mm-hmm. we did it. We did a, the sales team every day went around and said, yep, you know, my name is Emily. Okay, cool. I had, I had seven calls today and I'd be like, cool, Emily, where did those calls come? And she'd be like, two were from a webinar. One was from a Facebook ad and I don't know where the other ones are from. Okay, cool. And, and, and then it'd be like three reps would be like, I had a bunch of no shows today or wow, that piece of content really worked or, Hey, we need, it'd be great if we had a deck. And so I honestly felt like I was part of the sales team for the first two or three years at, at, at Drift. I think, I think that was, that was super, uh, super important. And, and it's honestly, it's gotten easier because you don't have to physically get on calls anymore because you could use something like, a, you know, like gong or chorus to record mm-hmm. your calls. And like now, now I can have, you know, I, I have either people on my marketing team or the sales team will send me links to calls and be like, Hey, you should listen to this one. This is really interesting. I, I love the SLA language you used at the beginning of your response and Something you said specifically was, what are the three things marketing is going to deliver to sales? And what are the, what threw me for a loop is, and what are the three things we're going to, marketing is going to get from sales? I think everyone understands what's, how marketing should be serving sales and what that should look like. Handing over the MQLs. I'm curious what you mean by what marketing should expect from sales, like the the bi-directionality of that comment. What, what, what's something maybe more specific there that marketers should be looking for from sales? So, so follow-up is probably number one. So, hey, we're going to deliver you <clears throat> X number of MQLs and we expect back that you're, you're going to work them. You're going to at least try to contact them and reach out within the first X number of hours. Ideally, it's hours, but it, it could be yeah. days, right? And you could break that down and say like, these are, these are A leads, these are B leads and C leads. A leads, you got to reach out to within the first two hours. B leads, you got to reach out to the first, within the first day. And C leads, you got to reach out to within the first 48 hours. Because I think, you know, velocity matters so much. And you could, you know, read every study ever done about, you know, lead gen and sales. And it's like, the quicker you follow up with a new lead, the better, you know, it's going to improve every other metric, right? You're going to have more people that show up for meetings. You're going to book more meetings. So like, that that's number one. And then, you know, I, I think, I think there's gotta be some, 
it, honestly, it's mostly, it's probably mostly that I, I was going to say something else, but I, I think it's mostly that it's mostly, we're going to deliver you these, we're, we're going to go shopping for these groceries. I want to know that you're going to, you're going to cook them while they're fresh. Not because, because here's what, here's what's going to happen, right? What, what, if you don't have that metric, otherwise to use this ridiculous analogy, go further on this. If you don't have that metric, what's going to happen is you're going to go shopping for those groceries. Eventually the sales team is going to make a meal with it. And then they're going to come back to you and be like, that pizza was terrible. And we were like, well, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's been the ingredients have been sitting around for a yeah. week. And you so left I think the you, steak you, on the counter unrefrigerated for three days. No, I think you're, I think you're, yeah, that's so smart. I mean, leads have a half-life, you know, and it, it also hour, just gives, it also gives more structure to what, the, the revenue motion is not just generating MQL and it's not just get on a call. It's like you have to connect those things. And so this, this also gives accountability from, from, from trial to sales reaching out to closing the deal. Cause then you can actually do a better analysis of, of what's happening. Right. So say you're generating all the MQLs, you are touching all the leads within the, within the, you know, benchmark number of days, but deals are still not closing then you can say it's probably not a, a lead gen problem or maybe it's not the right lead. You can, you can just better go and diagnose like why, as opposed to just, I've spent a lot of time, I don't have the longest career, but like I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years going back and forth with sales teams around lead quality or this or that, or, you know, this piece of content. And it just, it just becomes, you can see why there becomes issues between like why there's such a narrative around sales and marketing. So I think if you don't have that, if you don't have that shared agreement, then it's not really a relationship. It's more of a, you know, you're a vendor for the, for the sales team versus a two-way relationship. Yeah. Which I think is probably more of the default than, than we would like to be the case. Shifting gears a little bit, we've got maybe six or seven minutes before we're going to shift into Q and A. So I'd love to get your thoughts on the maybe not the impact of COVID-19, but how marketers, maybe how you in particular, or what you're hearing and seeing maybe in the broader landscape, how they're adapting and how strategies are shifting over the last five, six, seven, seven weeks. Yeah. So I think a lot, I mean, a lot has changed, right? Yeah. But I think the number one, I think the number one mistake you can make right now is, is, thinking about the marketing playbook that you were running seven weeks ago, because that it's not coming back. That playbook is not coming back. And so if you, number one is you have to have our, you have to, you have to adapt and, and accept that this is the new reality. I think the other thing has been, it, it's really across the board, depending on, on, on the industry, right? Whether you're cutting back budget, cutting back on people, laying off people, shutting down the company. Like I've, I've seen, I'm sure you have, right? I've seen that 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 spectrum of of stuff from just people people I know. You know, you could be a company in the travel industry right now and have no one to sell to. Right. Or you could be in e-commerce and have things looking like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, like traffic traffic levels. And so I think it's different depending on the industry. But I, I think that doesn't mean that if you're in that camp where where things are not going well right now because of the the the, who your customers are, it doesn't mean that, that it's time to stop doing marketing because I think that the opportunity now is to, let's say you think that travel is going to be back in September and you're going to be working on something from now. Well, the opportunity is to like, is to, to lead with content right now, launch a podcast, build a, build a show, start a YouTube channel, start an email, start a newsletter where you can get people to know and trust you over the next three, four months 
So when you do come back, they're going to already know who you are and want to buy from you versus I think my biggest fear as a marketer would be like going completely dark right now if I'm in an industry that's struggling because then it's just going to be, you're going to have the cold start problem again whenever that starts back up in yeah. three, four, five months. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I stumbled across something. I don't know if you wrote it or if somebody wrote it about you, but I stumbled across something last week. You had kind of 10 rules. And I thought they were really interesting. There was one that jumped out at me that I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd love you to weigh in on just because it's not controversial, but it's touchy, touchy subject, which is don't do marketing by committee. And you think about how much in a business is in fact run by committee. I mean, we're going to have a meeting, we're going to have the decision makers around the table and people are going to you know, advocate for or protect their fiefdoms or, or, or they're going to bring their own subjective and, and qualitative biases to decision-making. How does a marketing leader enact that? Like how, like it's one thing to say it. I think everyone is, yes, don't do marketing by committee. How do you lead in such a way that you earn the right to not have to, to make those decisions by committee? Yeah, I think... I think number one is you have to have an opinion. You have to have an opinion. Like you have to, I think a lot of people struggle with this because they don't have a passionate opinion about what they want to go do. Mm. And so the default becomes, ah, let's, let's, I'm going to post something in Slack and I'm going to, I'm going to let people vote on what the image for our event should be like, you know, that's not going to like, I, I, so I feel like number one is I, I have an opinion on what I want. Mm. Um, and within that framework, then maybe I could provide a couple different options. I think it's a, it's a, it's a lot of managing up. So like, I know that, you know, a, a big website redesign and, and homepage headline is a thing that everyone from the CEO to the CFO would want to like be, be involved in. Yeah, of course. And so in that case, I would say like, Hey, here, here's the plan. I want to let you know what's going on. Here's the plan. Here's the deadlines. Here's how we're going to measure this. We're working on a couple things right now. I'm going to come back in a couple of weeks and I'm going to walk you through three, three uh, options. And I'm going to tell you the one that we're going with and why we feel that way. And I'm open to have a discussion, but, but I'm going to lay this out so I can take you into the, the process. I think the reason that it doesn't work with a lot of people is because most marketers are afraid to show their work and to show their thought process. And, and so, you know, I, I, I also think it comes from like, having, having done it for a little bit and, and, and having a feeling for, I think I know what good looks like. And I think I know what I want to get out of it. And so, so maybe I can, you know, I can feel more confident in saying, like, don't do marketing on it by committee. I'm going to go with this. But I also think you have to be able to use your gut. And I think we, we rely too much on, you know, wanting to use data to quantify a decision. And in some ways, like, going using a committee as a way to use data to quantify the decision, right? It's I'm okay with taking the risk and I'm okay with failing. And, and, and so you have to be able to be creative and, and willing to, I'm willing to have things flop. The reason why people like doing marketing by committee is because it almost de-risks it, right? That's if I say, hey, hey, well, yeah, it sucks that it didn't work out. But, you know, Drew, you, me, uh, me, Drew and Christian were, were all in the room and Emily was there too. And, and, and none of you like that option either. So <laughs> who's wrong here? We're like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay being wrong because I think ultimately people forget that a lot of marketing is a, is a creative game and to be successful with any type of creative, you have to have hundreds and thousands of versions and variations. Right. So like, who's, who's to say, so my, my gut is always, we could spend time, we could spend time, but I promise you that my, my opinion, which is like probably based in 
a bunch of time thinking about marketing, trying it before, knowing the principles of marketing, like really going deep on marketing is going to be, you should trust that opinion more than like the, the sales manager who wants to hop in and be like, well, I don't like that headline. Well, that's great. But I, you know, we're, this is what we're going with and here why. Yeah. And you, you, you know, I, the other thing is that's important is you also have to be able to prove success so the team can have trust in you. And so like mm-hmm. over time, maybe, maybe in the early days, this doesn't mean if you're, if you're, if you're a 23 year old, you know, junior marketing person, you, you know, you might not have the, you know, you might not be able to take this don't do marketing by committee uh, advice to heart. And, and you can't just go to the CEO and say, Hey, here's a new website we're doing. <laughs> you know, part of it comes with having some wins and being able to like, to, to, to have your team feel confident. And so ultimately what I want is I want my team and the company to feel confident, even though the data says this, I want them to feel so strongly about the case that I'm making that they're like, you know what, if, if Dave says it, I'm going to trust him and we're going to go with it. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. And you know, I think a, a lesson there for the people who've joined the, 